Have you ever wondered why they describe bees as busy? Uh, I personally never was that inquisitive of bees myself. Until a recent dinner, I was invited over um, a family's house in our congregation. They're actually to my left. And they invited us over, and outside of an awesome night of fun and laughter and checking out their horses and chickens and cows and the different, I don't think they had cows, but horses for sure and goats, uh, they own several honeybees. Now, I got to be honest. My brother never thought that he'll be at dinner with people that own bees. I, that's just, I just didn't see that in my future. Um, but that's one of the things I love about our church. There's so many different uh, walks of life and culture, and you get the wonderful opportunity to meet people and, and to learn new things. And so they came out with these large racks they use for the bees to make their honeycomb. And I must admit, it was quite fascinating. It is, it is crazy how bees alone can declare the glory of God. It takes a lot of work and time for those bees to produce this delicious honey that most of us enjoy. After doing some research on honeybees, I found out that there were at least three kinds of bees within the honeybee colony. Number one, you have the queen bee, the only member of the colony able to fertilize eggs. Second, you have the drones, who is the male bee, and they only have one task, to fertilize new queens. I had a joke there, but I'm not going to say it, because I don't want any emails afterwards. But I figured I'd say that, and you guys know where I was going. Then last is the worker bee, and it is this one that I want to zoom in on. Worker bees are female. They accomplish every chore unrelated to reproduction, which is left up to the queen bee. In their first days, workers tend to the queen. For the remainder of their short life, workers keep busy. And there are many roles to fill, such as preserving honey, feeding drones, building honeycomb, storing pollen, removing the dead, for aging for food and nectar, carrying in water, fanning the hive to maintain the proper temperature and guarding the hive against invaders like wasps. Worker bees have a lot of work. Worker bees also make the decision to relocate the colony. Worker bees usually live up to 40 days in the warmer months. But essentially, worker bees work themselves to death. Because in the winter months, when they are dormant inside the hive, they can live to five to six months. But because of the busyness of life in the warmer months, they die way much sooner. So that's why bees are described as busy. But the real question this morning is why are humans or Christians associated with this phrase being busy as a bee? The sad reality is most of us are busier than bees. There is no doubt we are all busy. If we were to be honest this morning and to take off our spiritual mask, all of us and some of us are just downright tired. We are always going. And if we are not busy, we are in front of the TV soaking up mostly unhealthy shows. 
Otherwise, we are all busy doing something. But the question isn't whether we are busy doing something. The question is, are we primarily giving our time and energy to what is good, what is significant, and pleasing to God? Busyness doesn't necessarily mean fruitfulness. Are we living a healthy, sustainable lifestyle as God has intended for us to live? Or is, or is the saying true? We are as busy as bees, working ourselves to the point of spiritual starvation and physical death. Why do we choose to be as busy as bees? Unhealthy busyness has a way of distracting us from what, what is really important. And for many of us, it gives us a false sense of satisfaction. What exactly is unhealthy busyness? I would define it this way. You can write this down. It is when you are too busy for God and people. Let's say that again. Busyness, the way that I would define it, is when you are too busy for God and for people. One of the writers by the name of Rosalie puts it this way. The familiar words of Proverbs 29 reads, where there is no vision, the people perish. When our physical vision goes, we stumble and life gets blurred. When our spiritual vision weakens, we lose our passion for Christ. Then we choose a series of much less satisfying lovers that all end up failing us. A choice that misplaces longing. I think in this culture, that's where many Christians find themselves, listless, seeing their faith in Christian behavior through blurred eyes, stumbling in the dark, grabbing for any support and any relief they can find. Unhealthy busyness will always result in spiritual blurriness. You didn't come to talk to me this morning, but I'm going to preach anyways. Who can do life without God? Is there anybody in the room that is able to sustain their life apart from God? Does not busyness sometimes make us feel like we are stronger than what we truly are? Uh, friends, busyness can be like endorphins, which are hormones that your body releases when you exercise. And it reduces your perception of pain and triggers a positive feeling in the body like morphine. When we neglect seasons with God, our souls are in more pain than busyness would allow us to feel. Our souls are crying out to God, but we keep pacifying it with one thing after, the another, after another, working long hours, doing other things that are not meant to satisfy the human heart, chasing after things that money can buy, or we are distracted with work. Or perhaps what begins to surface in our souls is temptation to sexual sin. Temptation, looking for a relationship that gives us an initial buzz that helps us forget about what we're lacking inside. Or maybe you're just tired of being alone, tired of working on a relationship or marriage that is growing dull. Or maybe you started playing at the edge of a variety of addictions like pornography and overspending and overeating and gambling and workaholism. When God is not the center, we become busy doing all the wrong things. 
And I believe, church, this morning, the cure for an unhealthy life is to give our souls what it longs for, and that alone is God. The whole aim of spiritual life is to keep the longing alive. And Jesus has given us tips on how to keep the longing alive. This morning, I'd like to look at a short part of a sermon Jesus preached called Sermon on the Mount. If you've been to church any amount of time, you, you know very well about Sermon on the Mountain. Uh, probably derived in the spring of A.D. 28 on a mountain somewhere in the vicinity of Capernaum after Jesus had prayed all night and then chosen the 12 disciples. After that, he healed many sick people and a huge multitude flocked to him that he had healed. Jesus began to preach to these multitude of people here in our verse. If you have your Bibles, turn quickly to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through, through 34. Matthew chapter 6, we're starting at verse 19, and we're ending at verse 34. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say wait a minute. We're going to wait on you. You got 10 seconds. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say wait a minute good because we were moving on with you or without you. And it reads, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermins destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasure in heaven where the moths and the vermin do not destroy and their thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single, single hour to your life. Why do you worry about the clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Those are some pretty nice flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, 
that large section of scripture is worth preaching five sermons alone. And I understand that you didn't come here to sit through five sermons. And so I'm just going to extract only three things out of this text. But if we are going to be busy as bees, we need to be busy doing what matters. In this section, we have three imperatives, three commands that Jesus gives us. And these commands gives us insight in how we should govern our lives. The first two commands are negative commands, what we are not to be busy doing. And then the final command is a command on what we should be doing. So what I want to do, I want to point out all three of these commands, and then I want to go through them one by one. The first command is found in verse 20. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. And I'm going to lump the positive command together. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Together, this is one as a positive way of saying the same thing. Number two, found in verse 25 and also in verse 31 and 34, do not be anxious. This is found three times. Do not be anxious about your life in verse 25. In verse 31, do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. And in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And the third one is found in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Friends, our first problem is we are too busy doing the wrong thing. This entire section here is really about the human heart, is it not? Where is unhealthy busyness derived from? Our hearts. Essentially, church, what we spend most of our time doing is chasing after our own hearts. If you can picture this in your head, I got a diagram up here. If you can picture your heart outside of your body and you chasing your heart, and what is your heart chasing? Your heart is chasing after the thing that you love the most. And most of the time, what we're doing in our lives is we are pursuing, we are going after whatever it is that we love the most. Nothing reveals who we are more than our own hearts. Oftentimes, we want to blame it on other people and other things before we take a good examination of ourselves. And our heart is showing us what we're passionate about, what we love, what we desire the most is found in our hearts. And if you want to know what's in your heart, all you got to do is watch the very thing that your heart is preoccupied with following day in and day out. We are chasing our hearts all over and over again, whatever we spend our time thinking about, whatever we spend most of our time planning, that is what we are passionate about, which is why Jesus says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. As I told you, we went to Disney World this past week, and what is amazing is the amount of money people will spend to stand in line. Now, you may be thinking you did the same thing. It was my first time. I didn't know. 
So I get there, we get in line, and if you've been there before, you know what I'm talking about. You stand in line, and it is these things called trams, and these trams pick you up, and they take you to the park. I, I'm never going back to a park where I got to take four different things of transportation to get into there. We took a plane, we took a train, we took a boat, and we took every form of transportation just to get into the park. It took me two hours to get in. And so the reason why uh, we ended up at that park is why? Because we were following our hearts. It is something that we wanted to do. And so I'm standing in line in front of the tram. And this is just a little side note here. And so there's a bunch of people and I'm thinking, you know, we're getting in line and then, you know, the next person gets on the tram, right? Tram pulls up. I'm like, okay, we next. People rush up, get on the tram. I'm like, no, they didn't just do that. I was trying to leave Chicago at home. So I'm saying, okay, I see what it is. So I saw a brother lace his gym shoes. I say, it's on and cooking now. Because when the next tram come in, my family get off. So I look at the kids. I say, y'all know what's up, right? Y'all know what's up? Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's do that. You know, but I want to keep godly at the same time. So I'm like, I like, let's do this. So anyways, we end up getting on the tram. But here's the point. We will spend money on whatever we love to do the most. It doesn't matter if we have to stand in line. It doesn't matter how much time it costs. If you love something, it doesn't matter what it costs you. Your passion for it is more greater than what you have to spend on it. And the issue with the church is, is sometimes our passion is misdirected towards things that are not God and they come before him. And so we'll spend $100 to spend an hour in line in that Scott. Miller said, but we'll complain if the preacher goes 10 minutes over. I thought I'd just throw that in there. Is that all right with y'all? We still good? We all right? All right, I should be good if I go over then. All right, cool. But here's the reality. If the object that you are pursuing is not God, it is idolatry. Idolatry is not just a commitment to carve images, but putting anything before God, anything before God. It can be good things. If you put it before God, it is idolatry. You can idolize your kids if you didn't know that. What object do you spend the majority of your energy chasing? The reality is, is that idols leave us restless. Idols leave us busy. Idols leave us tired. But Jesus leaves us with peace and tranquility. That's the difference between chasing an idol and chasing Jesus. When you're chasing idols, you're tired and you're busy. But when you're chasing after Jesus, Jesus, you have a peace and a calmness about yourself. What we are going to see here soon is God wants us to spend our time chasing after him and not the things of this world. Let's look at the first command. Jesus' first command to us is don't be busy laying up treasure on earth. Jesus is clear in verse 19 that busyness is fueled by pursuing earthly things. And this is pointless. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth rust and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If most of us are honest this morning. We spend most of our time chasing things, things that will not matter once we are 
dead. Once we return to dust, we are, find ourselves chasing money, cars, and clothes, and furniture, and bank accounts, and so on, and so on, stocks, and bonds, and all of these things. And I'm not saying these things are bad, but oftentimes they become the pursuit of our lives. Then once we get these things, we are busy trying to keep them. The difference between God and an idol is an idol needs to be kept. But when you got the real God, you realize you need to be kept by him. It's a big difference. Idols, you got to continue to pursue and to pick them up. I remember in the Old Testament when Baal fell down in worship, Yahweh, they will go out of the room. They will come back. He will be down on his face. The people had to come back in and pick up the idol. But the difference with God is that you don't got to pick them up. You ain't got to situate them. You ain't got to put them nowhere. God does not have to be kept. If you got to keep something, you better realize that it is not God. And a lot of us are idols we're running around trying to keep boyfriends and girlfriends and and all these other circumstances and situations that cannot keep us God is a keeper of his people the argument Jesus gives to discourage being busy trying to be rich on earth is these things rust fade and are destroyed in the end and one day we die and what happens they put us in a box paint us up like a clown And the only thing that goes in that box is yourself. Nothing else. I love the way Pastor Steve puts it. If it doesn't matter when it's dust, it doesn't matter. Will you work hard for a company that is going to give you a paycheck you know is going to bounce? Absolutely not. I'm not showing up. If I know that the check you give me, when I go to the bank, it ain't going to cash in. I ain't going to work for you because there's going to be some furniture moving later on. So I'm just not going to show up. But it is, it, it, see, we laugh at it, but oftentimes we find ourselves working for things that will not cash out in the end. We show up working relentlessly and tiredly for things that will not show up at the end. As a pastor, you get, a, you get chances to, to officiate funerals, and the pastor is to get behind the hearse and follow the hearse to the funeral home. And you heard the old saying that you never see a U-Haul at the back of the hearse. And if you do, some brother's going to be there later on with some shovels digging it back up, taking whatever you put down in there because the reality is, is we can't take anything with us. Reminds me of that story in the gospel found in the book of Luke, nestled, cradled in the book of Luke chapter 12, verses 20 through 21. It says, but God said, the man who built even bigger barns, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God did not rebuke the man because he was rich. He rebuked the man because he was stingy. And then he told him, you are a fool because I'm taking your life tonight. And when God calls someone a fool, you ought to wake up. Your antennas ought to go up and you ought to ask, God, why did you call him a fool? It's because he thought that this life is all that was. Busyness in the, in, in the exhaustion of life is often self-afflicted, not always, but most of the time. 
Behind most of our busyness is our pride and our worship of ourselves. Can I be honest this morning? Can I be real this morning? Most of our busyness is because of our own pride. We're trying to make a name for ourselves. One of the things that I found out about honeybees is that honeybees go from flower to flower in order that they may produce that sweet thing we call honey. And in a similar way, what a lot of us do is we keep hopping from thing to thing, trying to produce something sweet of our lives. But instead, what we keep producing is bitterness and emptiness. And the reason why is because we keep spending our money on name brand clothes and Jordans and Michael Kors because we feel as if we put somebody's name on us that it would increase our value. We feel if we climb up the financial ladder high enough, we will begin to be worth something. But here's the reality. You're working for man's name. But I came to tell you, Christian, you got a name already on you. And that name is Jesus. And as long as his name is written on you, you're worth more than you'll ever know. You're worth more than they'll ever think you will. When Jesus is written on you, there's no devil that can talk you down. There's no boss that can tell you you're not worthless. There's no person at school that can tell you that you're not worth anything when Jesus is on your name and we keep hopping and hopping and hopping to one thing after the other. But Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, do not be pulled away. Do not be enticed by the things of this world. Do not allow the things of the world to draw you away from what matters the most. Let that sit for a minute. Because it's one thing to amen it. That's another thing to live it. Hear what Jesus is saying here, church. Do not allow and we all got it, the temptation to be pulled away. Advertisements on TV is trying to pull us, pull us away. Music is trying to pull us away. TV shows is trying to pull us away. The world is trying to pull us away from what matters the most, and it is God and God alone. The thing that counts in the end is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus talks about not chasing material things, but he doesn't just stop there. He presses a little bit further. He presses into our hearts a little bit more. He presses into our situations a little bit more. He gets a little bit more personal in this next commandment. He meets all of us right at home, something that none of us can really deny in this next commandment. Jesus is getting raw and real here. In the second command, he says, don't be anxious. Do not be anxious. It's found three times. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 31, do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. And look at verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. If there is one thing that keeps us busy, it is being anxious about everything that Jesus listed. Being anxious about our food, our water, and our clothing in what tomorrow has to hold. These things are basic and necessary for survival. 
In the first command, Jesus tells us don't be busy chasing wants. In the second command, Jesus tells us don't be busy chasing needs. It is this continual battle inside of us. See, it's one thing to be busy physically. It's another thing to be busy in your soul. Anxiety is hard to put away. Anxiety will crawl up in bed with you. Anxiety will crawl up in your dreams. Anxiety will crawl up at your dinner table. Anxiety will crawl up when you're just sitting at work minding your own business and anxiety comes knocking on the door and say, hello, it's your friend, anxiety, and you start worrying and thinking about what you don't have and what you need and you start worrying about tomorrow and what, and all of a sudden you say, I've been, I've been laying down, I've been slowing down but I'm still tired because anxiety is a condition of the heart. The dictionary defines anxiety like this. Full of mental distress or uneasiness because of fear of danger or misfortune. Greatly worried. Anybody can relate to this. It is the worst kind of busyness. I remember when I was working in the banking industry. And at that point, I've been working in banking for about seven years. It was all that I knew, all that I did besides volunteering at church. One day, I got fired from banking, and I will never forget the sleepless nights that I had, worrying about tomorrow, worrying about how I'm going to provide for this little girl and this little boy, how I'm going to give my wife the things that she needs. I was lost, and the page would come into the room, and I said, I don't want to be bothered. I don't know if you ever laid in your bed depressed. I don't know if you ever been in such darkness where you didn't want to talk to anybody. You didn't want to be bothered with anybody. It's as if you wanted to be cut off from society itself, and I didn't want to be bothered. And here's the crazy part. If I can do it all over again, I would worry less because God had a plan for Dexter Harris' life because through my trials and tribulation, God was doing something. He was chiseling away some things that needed to go away. I didn't know that he was preparing this young man for ministry, but if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be where I am now. And you got to understand that sometimes life will throw some things at you and you don't understand how this gets to this or how you get to that. But just because you don't understand doesn't mean that the sovereign God of the universe doesn't understand. God knows what he's doing. And I came to tell you, there's a lot of preaching out here that says that God doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to go through anything. But I came to tell you that God has designed suffering in order to bring us under his submission. How many people know without suffering, you wouldn't be who you are. You wouldn't have the character you have today. You wouldn't have the tenacity you have today apart from suffering. This one right here can fuel the first command. Anxiety will make you stingy. It will make you greedy. It will make you self-seeking because you're so concerned about being the God of your own life that you forget the God that you serve. This is why verse 24 says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money, but I like the way one, one preacher said. He said, but you can make money serve God. I seen some of y'all get up when that offering plate go around. Y'all go to the bathroom. We've been talking about sending an usher outside the bathroom for when you come out. We just don't want you to miss your opportunity, that's all. It ain't nothing personal. 
Come out the bathroom. Ian, what's up, brother? Come on. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Or maybe not, Don, right? <laughs> Got to keep the lights on. I'm just saying. I love the way that John Piper puts it. Either you are mastered by money and therefore ignore God, or you make him a bellhop for your busyness. Or you are mastered by God and make money a servant of the kingdom. Friends, our unhealthy busyness is exposing our lack of faith. What we are trusting in, which is why Jesus is like, hold up. This is kind of how I read it. Jesus is like, hold up. You're anxious and you're worried about tomorrow. Do you know who your father is? Do you know who your God is? You do know he is the one that feeds the birds, right? I was watching the Animal Planet the other day. I love watching Animal Planet and to see the various species that God has created in the way that he prov provides for them. It is a ruthless thing out there. I'm going to say that right now. I would not want to be an eagle or a fox or that little mountain uh, lion or whatever he is. Uh, but anyways, watching that and just watching how God feeds them. Then Jesus argued logically here. Why are you worried and your God clothes the followers of the field? Then he comes and says, are you not much more important than that? Does God not care about you more than the birds? Does he not care about you more than the flowers? Jesus says he knows what you need. Well, if God knows what you need and if God knows my life and if God knows my need, then all I need to know is he cares. And if I know that he cares, everything is going to be all right. Jesus is probably like, take these chains of anxiety off, son and daughter. Do you not realize that I love you? Does the gospel not speak to our hearts that we serve a God that came down to us? We didn't go up to him. God came down to our situation and our circumstance. The gospel alone preaches to our hearts that everything is going to be all right. I look at it this way. I'm a father of three children. And I'm going to let you know right now, the last thing I want Kyla, Dakai, or Lila worrying about is how they're going to eat or how they're going to have a roof over their head. That's daddy's problem. You don't worry about that. Daddy is going to provide that. Daddy is, you, you enjoy your childhood. And I think in a similar way, God is like, you don't worry about that. Daddy got that. I'm going to handle that. I'm going to hold mine down. It ain't like I'm broke or I'm running short on something. I ain't got to borrow. I ain't got to, everything belongs to me anyways. I'll take from him and give to her. I'll give in ways you never thought I'll give. I'll cause manna to rain out of heaven if I have to. I'll make quail come down if I have to. I'll turn the rocks into bread if if I have to, I ain't never running short, and I'm never a dad be dead. I'm going to take care of you. How many of us in the room are worrisome? Get a dose of Matthew 6. Drink that. Feel that. Take that in. Let it nourish your soul. God cares for you. The reality is, is when humans trust in themselves more than God, we become busy both physically and in our souls, finding no rest at all. We become busy like bees. When this kind of busyness is not checked, 
we become the most greedy, most self-serving, coveting people on the planet. And the last command, though, tells us what we need to be busy doing. Don't be busy laying up treasures for yourself on earth. And don't be anxious. But Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what you do need to be doing. You need to be busy seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. What exactly is Jesus saying to us? What is he saying, busy bees? If you want something sweet like honey to come out of your life, make God in his righteousness your priority. Jesus is saying, live for God. Don't live for yourself in the things that will perish. Give everything you have to live passionately for God. Church, people should, we should declare with our mouths and demonstrate with our lives that we believe Jesus. And a lot of times there's a disconnect between what we profess and what we actually do. And there shouldn't be a disconnect. What you say you believe should be seen clearly in how you live and how you walk. But the question is, what does that look like? What does it look like? To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'll tell you what it looks like, church. It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. There's nothing else that I can put before you this morning to tell you how it looks. Our lives should duplicate Jesus. It says the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Now, this word righteousness here in the Greek is dekoni. I think I said that right. Which means, in a broad sense, the state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. I don't know the last time you read your Bibles. But according to the book of Romans, the righteousness of God is Jesus Christ and in him alone. And so if we're going to seek the righteousness of God, we got to seek the face of Jesus. And until you seek the face of Jesus, you cannot reflect or live out the righteousness of God because first and foremost, you are not righteous in it within yourself. And so God has to do something, namely give you a new heart and a new life. And so the first thing we have to do is trust and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and repent from the things we've been pursuing. And so one, once we were walking towards the world, but when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus, we make a turn. That's called repentance. And we repent and we put our faith in who? We put our faith in Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, what begins to happen? He changes our hearts. And as he changes our hearts, as we walk in his word, as we walk in his truth, what is God doing? He's changing us day by day until we begin to look like what? Begin to look like Jesus. Now it's one thing to shake your head and say amen to looking like Jesus. But let me remind you, looking like Jesus is not not easy. It means you got to love those who hate you. It means that you got to be persecuted. It means that you give up your immediate preference for the joy of other people. It means that you're willing to be inconvenienced. It, it means that your agenda is no longer your agenda. It's God's agenda. It means that you're no longer the captain of your soul, but God is the captain of your soul. It's okay to smile and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, but let me remind you that Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and 
and walk with me. Hello, newsflash. Christianity symbol is not a pillow, but it is a crown of thorns. And when you see a crown of thorns, it ought to remind you of the cross. And the cross ought to remind you that Christianity is not a game. It is not easy. It is something that we are called to die to ourselves. And I'm going to be quite frank and quite honest with you. It is impossible to live like Jesus apart from a new life and to be born again. The issue is that so many people are trying to be like Jesus, and they've yet to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be transformed. Friends, earlier on, before Jesus gave his sermon on the mountain, it talks about the people in Capernaum seeing a great light. He said that Jesus went around healing all that was sick. This is how he gathered this large following. But as we study the Gospels, we see the life of Christ. Jesus gave himself to the poor. He walked in dark and uncomfortable places. It means we give up Monday night football to sit at the feet of Jesus. It means we speak up for those without a voice. It means we speak against things like misogyny. It means that we trade in our pillows for crosses. It means that God Almighty is everything to us. We love to sit at the feet of Jesus. We enjoy God more than TV. We enjoy him more than anything else. It means we stop being busy with the things of the world and we start being busy doing the things of God. Ever wonder why there are so many weak Christians? I tell you one, because our priorities are mixed up. A lot of us cry about our situations and circumstances, and indeed there are times for that. Me and my son, we were at a Puerto Rican restaurant, and my son, he's very inquisitive. He asks a lot of questions. In fact, when we were on a trip, I had to pay this one guy because he asked him so many questions. I said, thank you for answering all of his questions. We were sitting at a restaurant, and there was a mask on the menu. And my son said, what is this mask for? And the waiter said, this mask is used in Puerto Rico to scare off the monsters. And I quickly thought to myself, I don't care how many masks you got on. You can't scare away no demons with no masks. But the reality is a lot of us wear a lot of masks trying to scare off things in our life that cannot go away by wearing our church mask and acting phony and not being real. The only thing that can stop the power of darkness is Jesus Christ himself. And so if we want to stop being weak Christians, we have to put God as our priority. Here's something else I learned about the worker bee. The worker bee has a stinger. The stinger is there to defend the colony. When the worker bee uses her stinger, it is pulled out of her body and she dies. The bee essentially sacrifices his life so that others may live 
and continue the work they are designed to do. Y'all don't appreciate when y'all hear the gospel in honeybees, but I'm going to bring it home to you anyway. Church, I tell you, church, that Jesus in a similar way lived, died, and rose so that he can take the sting out of death in order that you and I may live, not to do what we want to do, not for our own agendas, but so that we may accomplish the will of the Father. Jesus died on our behalf, not so that we can be stingy, comfortable Christians, but he died so that we may do the work that he has called us to do. The first step to a healthy family in a healthy life is making God the center. So church, pray for God's empowerment to live in a kingdom living kind of way. Embrace God extraordinary love. We want to be God-centered, not self-centered. There is a genuine love of God for us that turns our hearts outward towards him and others. In love and gratitude and persevering faith, our prayers must be focused on matters of the spirit, the dwelling of Christ in our lives in requesting that God bombarding the gates of heaven, that, Lord, you would help us to understand the incomprehensible understanding of your love. Church, in order that this may not just be another sermon that we hear, because the reality is, is busyness is a real issue in our culture. Busyness is a real issue in our lives. And the last thing I want to happen to our church is us to hear this sermon and we keep moving and we keep busy doing things that God has not called us to do. But I am determined to be a church that seeks the kingdom of God first. I am determined to see a people that searches for the glory of God more than their own glory. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge every single person in the room. Every single person that calls themselves a child of God, I want to challenge us. This Saturday, I'm calling our entire church to fast and to pray. And this is what our prayer focus will be. Let me put a parenthesis here. There's no obligation. But I'm encouraging you to set aside this Saturday and to seek the face of God. And here's our prayer. God, make us a people in 2018 and beyond. Make us a people that seek the kingdom of God first in its righteousness. That's what I want for my life. Anybody else want that for their lives, the will of God? There's nothing like fasting. Fasting is simply setting aside food. And what fasting is communicating to God is this. Lord, we need you. Explanation mark. We need you. We cannot do this without you. Some of us may have health conditions. Fast accordingly. There's other fasts like the Daniel fast, eating just vegetables, water. It's fine. But this Saturday, let's fast together as a church family and say, God, we're coming after you full speed. Because we want to see your will done, not only in the city of Gary, but in our households as well. Amen. Let's take-